We are uh, in a sermon series entitled The People of God, and we are walking through the Old Testament, looking at these prominent figures, um, looking at their individual stories and how their stories are telling the bigger story of the Bible. And through this, we're learning um, about this, this deep connection between the Old and New Testament that maybe we hadn't seen before. Um, we're also discovering this connection between these figures in the Old Testament and even our own lives today as we sit here today as the people of God. And so today we're gonna continue looking at Moses. This is gonna be Moses part two. Uh, last week we covered uh, the part of the story where God came to Moses in Exodus 3 and spoke through an angel amidst the burning bush and called uh, Abraham to go to Pharaoh uh, to demand that God's people would be let go. Of course, Pharaoh, as we talked about earlier, denied that request and turned up the heat on the suffering and said, I'm gonna make it harder on you. And then this is where God moves. Well, as we spoke about earlier, um, God moves in a mighty way and Pharaoh uh, sends the people of Israel out to travel uh, through the desert. They're following a pillar of fire and a, and, a, and a cloud in the day and the night. And this is the presence of God leading the children of Israel out of captivity. Um, this is where they cross the Red Sea. Um, but all the way back at the beginning of the conversation at Exodus 3, God said something to Moses. He said, hey, Moses, we're going to meet again on this mountain. And this is Mount Horeb. And so we find as we follow the nation of Israel uh, through the wilderness that God indeed, by the time we get to Exodus 18, leads Moses and the people of God to that same mountain, um, also referred to as Mount Sinai. Uh, more than likely, these are two peaks of the same mountain, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai, same location. Uh, but this is where God gives the 10 commandments uh, to Moses. This is also where uh, Moses begins to get overwhelmed as a leader. And it's not until his father-in-law shows up with Moses' wife and children and kind of looks at what's happening there um, that we see that Moses is getting overwhelmed because all the people are coming to Moses uh, as their kind of their savior. Every time they had a problem, they came to Moses. And, and so Moses' father-in-law says to Moses, hey, you can't do all this. You can't be the savior to all the people. You need to organize this. You need to delegate all this. And so uh, at, this is in Exodus 18, and this is setting the stage now for Exodus 19 and 20, where we get the 10 commandments. So today we're gonna be looking at the law of God, the 10 commandments, and the connection between the 10 commandments and those of us who are in Christ. And so in Matthew, excuse me, Exodus 19, where we'll begin, we'll start in verse four. Uh, God tells Moses to go say some things to the people. And I just wanna look at one thing with you here. In verse four of Exodus 19, they're at the mountain, the same place where the burning bush angelic scene took place. And God says to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, this is setting the stage now for God in the next chapter to lay out 
the Ten Commandments. But there's something embedded in what we just read I don't want to just gloss over because we understand the nation of Israel was in slavery. They were in bondage and they've been rescued out of that, right? But the assumption is that they're being rescued to this promised land, right? This land flowing with milk and honey, this, this place that will be different, this place that will be easy, this place that will be prosperous. And, and, I, and I love what God said here because it's going to take a long time to get to the promised land, but did you see what God said here? I didn't rescue you to the promised land. He says, remember how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to what? Myself. Even before we get to the promised land, I've rescued you to myself. To be what? To be my people. Now from here, the stage is set for God to describe for us then what it looks like to be his people. And so what follows is the 10 commandments. Now, if you're familiar with the 10 commandments, the first four commandments have to do with our heart and our worship towards God. You shall first of all have no other gods before me. Commandment one, commandment two, don't carve any gods or carve anything into any kind of images and bow down to them. Number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, Protect the Sabbath, keep it holy, protect your day of worship. So the first four commandments are vertical commandments, right? Commanding us to what? To keep God first, to keep God as an object of our worship, our, our first love. And then the next six commandments talk about the way we relate to one another. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, and do not covet your neighbor's possessions. Of course, Jesus sums all this up, right? When he's asked, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's the first four, right? And then what? Love your neighbors yourself. When you're loving your neighbors yourself, you won't murder them. <laughs> when you're loving your neighbors yourself, you won't try to steal your neighbor's possessions and make them yours. When you're loving your neighbors yourself, you won't commit adultery. You won't lie. And so we see in these 10 commandments, what God is describing to us and portraying to us is what it looks like to be an image bearer, to reflect his image here on earth. And now we're gonna go to the New Testament, to the gospel of Matthew chapter five, because Jesus is gonna begin teaching on the 10 commandments and talking about these commandments. Now, one of the things that sometimes we struggle with as Christians is to understand the connection between the commandments, the law of God, and our lives today. Because we've been forgiven, we have grace, we have mercy. And so then what role then do the 10 commandments play in my everyday life? Like, I don't know how many of you stop to think about the commandments every day. Do you, do you ever stop at the end of the day to kind of go through the commandments and, and just kind of see how did I do today? Right? Most of us, we don't think about the commandments. But Jesus is going to not only think about the commandments, he's going to teach and preach on them in a really significant way. Look at Matthew chapter 5 with me, starting in verse 1. We'll set the stage. Seeing the crowds. So at this point, Jesus has already begun to gather crowds. Uh, he went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. So the setting of Moses there with the 10 commandments is up on the mountain and now Jesus is up on a different mountain and he's gonna begin teaching about the law and the commandments. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, contrary to what oftentimes gets assumed in the modern day church, Jesus is in no way saying the 10 commandments don't apply anymore, is he? And so many times in the modern day church, we say, well, Jesus died on the cross and that took care of the commandments. So I don't even need to think about them anymore. It's done. I'm forgiven, right? Let's move on. But Jesus is not diminishing the commandments in any way, is he? He's not watering them down. He's not replacing them. Matter of fact, he's explicitly saying, guys, I didn't show up to do away with the law. I showed up to fulfill it. And then he's gonna begin teaching the law to them. And he's gonna say things like, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. Yeah, we've heard that. Well, I tell you the truth. If you've already harbored anger in your heart towards your fellow man, you've already committed murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you the truth, if you have had lustful thoughts in your mind, you've already committed adultery. So Jesus is not watering down the law. He's actually turning up the heat on the law, isn't he? Like he's exposing just how impossible it is for our wicked hearts to obey it. And you may think you have it together on the outside, but let's take a look on the inside. You're all lawbreakers. But then he gets to this verse, verse 20, and he says this this thing. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, that's more than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the teachers of the law. These are the strict adherers to the law. You won't get into heaven. Now what a heavy thing to say. So Jesus is not watering down, diminishing, or replacing the law, he turns up the heat on the law and says, listen, the standard you set for yourself is not even high enough. The standard's way up here, and unless your righteousness exceeds that, you're not even getting into heaven. Now, I used to call this the bad news of the gospel, but I don't call it that anymore, because even this is the good news. Because listen to me, that may sound strange, but here's the good news in what we just read. The law of God is a reflection of the character of God. If the law of God changes, so does the character of God. And I don't want to worship a God that I can't trust and I can't know. I don't want to worship a God whose character is one thing one day and different the next, right? And so what we see in this is Jesus is saying, listen, the law hasn't changed because God's character hasn't changed. God is still the standard of righteousness, And unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you will never get into heaven. If you're taking notes with us and the seat back's in front of you, there's a a card that says this week, feel free to snag one of those. The first statement says this, only those who are, listen to this, perfectly righteous will be accepted into heaven as God's people. 
How righteous? Perfectly righteous. You sure it didn't say just kind of righteous? Because I can pull that off on some days. Like maybe just sort of righteous, like mostly does good things. Can we not go with that? No. Perfectly righteous. Now we're gonna go to Romans chapter three and we're gonna spend the remainder of our time here today because what the apostle Paul is gonna do, he's gonna unpack all this for us. He's gonna show us the connection between the 10 commandments and what Jesus is saying here. He's gonna talk to you about your inability to be righteous in your own strength. And he's gonna proclaim the gospel to us. So Romans chapter three, starting in verse 19, if you're you're not sure where that is, if you're in the New Testament, maybe the gospel of Matthew, go to the right until you get to uh, the book of Romans. In Romans chapter three, verse 19, the apostle Paul is gonna reiterate what Jesus just said. Okay, listen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And that's just polite Bible terminology for every mouth may be shut up silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So the law is here to silence us, to take away our excuses. Okay. Now we are, we are fabulous excuse makers, right? We, we don't even have to teach our kids how to make excuses. They just do that. Uh, This past week I had a parenting moment. And by the way, when I share parenting moments, I am not by any means saying, here's how you're supposed to parent. I'm just letting you know, I'm not a great parent and this is what it looks like in our household, okay? So um, we had a situation go down where I was not present uh, and my, my wife was there to kind of intervene and, and, and to get, kind of see what all happened. And so she makes the statement, I'm gonna let your father handle this one, right? And so then she lets me know what all happened. So the next day I picked the kids up from school And I'm thinking about how am I going to do that? How do I want to bring this conversation up in a way where I don't have to sort through all the excuses, you know, because it's been 24 hours and I know it's going to be the other one's fault and all this kind of stuff. So I I had this brilliant idea. So I said, all right, um, guys, here's the deal. We need to have talk about what happened yesterday. Of course, they're just all silent. I said, and here's the thing I want you to hear me say before we even start. For every excuse you give me, Every reason you give me why it wasn't your fault, you get one spanking. Now tell me what happened yesterday. Dude, it was comical. Well, because it was... But this... And And they're looking at each other in the back seat. They're motioning. I'm like, all right, somebody tell me what happened. And it ended with, Dad, I messed up. Now, it was a beautiful moment of parenting. I'm gonna try that again next week and it's not gonna work, okay? (laughs) But this is what Paul is saying about the law. It shuts us up. It silences us, right? Whatever excuses you had for your behavior and your intentions, when you stand before the law of God, it silences you. And you have nothing to say except what? I'm guilty. I broke that law. It's not her fault. It's not his fault. It's me. And this is what Paul is saying here. That every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. Now he goes on and says in verse 20, 
For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, how many people will be justified by the law? None. Again, I used to call this the bad news of the gospel, but even in this, there is good news because what God is saying is, listen, the law is a reflection of my character. My character doesn't change. And part of my character is I hold people accountable for breaking my law. Jesus forgiving you is not me turning the other way. That's not me changing my mind. And so what Paul does now is he's gonna bridge the gap between God's justice and his mercy. So in verse 21 comes the beginning of what is definitely the good news. But now, this is a really big statement. Something's different now. Now that Christ has come, he has died, he has resurrected. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed or made known or even made available apart from the law. Whoa, do you mean there's another way? Apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now Paul's beginning to hint that there might be another way to get righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. I can't work my way up, but maybe there's another way. And so what he says in verse 22, indeed there is another way, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe and there is no distinction. Man, that's the best news in the Bible. There is a way for you to be made perfectly righteous. Remember, that's the only way you get into heaven, by the way. If we had stopped right there and said, okay, let's dismiss, come up and sing. We would have went away going, man, I'm doomed. (sighs) I thought I was going to heaven. I gotta find another way, right? But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, no, listen, There's another way for you to be made perfectly righteous. Not kinda, not sort of, not mostly perfectly righteous. It's a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's available for all who believe there is no distinction. This is what's so beautiful about watching the church, the saints of God line up for communion. The evidence that there is no distinction. Some of you come from a church background. Some of you don't. Some of you are white, some are black, some are brown and all in between. Some of you are wealthy, some of you are poor. Right? We come from all these different backgrounds. There's no distinction for those who come to Christ. And that's what the church is. It's this beautiful display of what Paul just said. All who believe. All. And there is no distinction. Man, that, that moves me. There's a new way to be righteous. God made a way, if you're taking notes, for his people to be made righteous by believing the gospel. By believing the gospel. In verse 23 and 24, Paul's gonna Remind us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, every one of us, even me. Yeah, even me, even you. We've all fallen short and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Um, this is what I often will refer to as the beautiful and visible and in the Bible. Here's what I mean by that. So in the original language, there is a word in the Greek language that can be translated and or but, depending on the context. But that word isn't present here. And that's kind of what I'm looking for when I read this. Like we've all fall, fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I want to hear some good news. But Paul doesn't frame it like that. It's not either or. He's saying, no, both are true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and then doesn't miss a beat and goes right into saying those same people are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Man, I don't do this very often. Can I get an amen? amen. Man, that's big time. That's big time for sinners like us, isn't it? I'm reminded daily that I fall short of the glory of God. And it's not either or. It's both and. And I am justified. I'm justified by his grace as a gift. The gospel declares that all of God's people's, God's people are sinners and fall short of his glory. But at the same time, we are made righteous as, as by, a, by his grace as a gift. We're made righteous by this beautiful gift of his grace. And this is the gospel. This is the good news of the Bible, and it's actually the big story that's being told. Moses' part was just a small part in that, wasn't it? His role was just to be there to usher in the law, the law that reveals our sinfulness and our deep need for a rescuer. Moses is not the rescuer. The rescuer's coming, right? And his name is Jesus. Now what's gonna happen here is Paul's gonna talk about this relationship between the law and the gospel. Verse 25, he explains to us how this works. Still talking about Jesus, he says, whom, this is verse 25 of Romans 3, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now that's a big word, I know, and it means basically an atoning sacrifice an appeasing or an atoning sacrifice. So let's put that in there. So Jesus was put forward by who? By God as an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received how? By faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. This explains to us how Abraham gets into heaven before Jesus dies on the cross. Think about that. God is there watching Abraham, right? And even in the midst of Abraham trying to follow God, he's lying about his wife. He's still sinning, right? He's still breaking God's law. Well, why does he get into heaven? Jesus hasn't died yet. And in that moment, think about it. God eternal is looking down the timeline to the cross and it's not, I hope this happens. It's, I know it's gonna happen and I'm so convinced it's gonna happen that I'm gonna forgive, I'm gonna forbear with patience Abraham's sins. I can forgive Abraham right now because I know somebody is coming to pay for it. That's what that verse is saying. And so Christ is put forward as this atoning sacrifice This was, verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the, this is the great paradox of the Christian faith. Is God just, meaning is he a God who holds people accountable for breaking his law, or is he the justifier, the one who has mercy on those who break his law? It's both. That's the point of the cross. At the cross, this is the reason why the cross is so bloody and so gory and so brutal. Because at the cross, you are seeing, you're witnessing a display of God's anger and wrath. Well, who's he mad at? Uh, me, you, Abraham, Moses, the wrath of God is poured out. He's holding sinners accountable, right? But Jesus steps in and says, here, hold me accountable instead. All that wrath and anger that you are storing up for sinners poured out on me. And so Jesus endures and absorbs that wrath of God for us. And so God is both just and he is the justifier, the merciful, loving, gracious God. And Jesus is that cornerstone, right? He's the key. He's the one who makes both things possible. And this is what Paul is getting to. This was displayed to us on the cross. If you're taking notes, the gospel declares that God holds his people accountable. He holds his people accountable to obeying the law, but or and... He accepts Jesus' death as a replacement for the punishment his people deserve. God has not done away with his law. When you break it, there is still accountability. The accountability for your sin and for my sin is poured out on Jesus. Man, that's a big deal, isn't it? So then Paul's going to end here. We'll read these next few verses. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from, excuse me, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? He's not the God of the Gentiles also. Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Now, this is where I want to get to. Verse 31 is where we're going to end. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Church, we got to hear this. What Paul is saying is, is that, does that mean the law is no longer valid? Do we just throw it away? Do we not even worry about it anymore? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And I love Paul's response to his own question. I don't think so, right? I don't think so. Absolutely not. By no means. On the contrary, what do we do? We uphold it. Listen, church, we uphold the law of God. Why? Because in the law of God, we see the character of God. In the law of God, we see what it means to be his image bearers. God is still calling you to obey the commandments. He's forgiven you for having not been able to obey the commandments. Now he's placed his spirit in you and he's stirring in you to now strive to obey them. Why? Because they are still good and they are still right. 
It's still good to not kill your neighbor, church. Right? It's still good to not take your, your, your neighbor's things. It's still good to worship the one true God and have no other carved images and bow down to them. You see, the law has not been diluted or dismissed, replaced, but something's different now. Before I encountered Christ, the law was an accuser to me. If I ever stopped in my tracks to look at the law of God, all I saw is where I fell short, right? All I saw is where I don't mount up and I'm never gonna make God happy. And so what I did is I just didn't look at the law, meaning I didn't go to church. I didn't wanna talk to church people. I didn't wanna be around things that reminded me of the character of God. But now that I've encountered Christ and I have been saved and I have been forgiven, I now turn and look and the law doesn't condemn me anymore. I see it as it rightly is. It's beautiful and it's good. As the psalmist says in Psalm 19, it's sweeter than honey. It's more precious than gold. I want it. I want to be like it. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm striving to obey the law. Hear me on this. Not to make God like me, but because he already does. The last statement in your notes. Through the gospel, God's people have been forgiven for breaking God's law. And his forgiveness in your life now allows you to see, that's the next blank, God's law as good and right. You see it differently now that you've been forgiven. And not only that, now you have the Holy Spirit allowing you to strive to obey God's law with the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that we have already been rescued and accepted as God's people. That's the gospel. I wanna stop here today and give you a minute to reflect on maybe what God has spoken to you. Some of you here today may not be Christians. And among those who are not Christians, there actually may be two different groups of people. First of all, you may have come into church today knowing I'm not a Christian. I'm here to learn, maybe I'm here to discover. I'm just here to kind of kick the tires, right? So for you, like today, you've heard the gospel and God is calling you to believe in Jesus Christ and understand that that's the only way you can be made perfect. It's the only way you can get in. You've gotta be perfect. By believing in Christ, he makes you perfect. But there may be a group of people who walked in here today thinking that you were a Christian and you just realized you're not. Because you have been trying to climb this ladder of works thinking, if I can just get my act together, God will like me and God will let me in. If I can just do enough good stuff and convince the people around me that I am a good Christian man or woman, at the end of my life, I will have done enough good things that Peter will let me in. I got news for you. Peter's not stopping you at the gates. You'll either, you'll either meet your advocate Jesus or you won't. And so maybe you're here today and you came in thinking, well, I'm a good old boy, so I'm a Christian because I, I got a t-shirt and I listen to Christian music and I, my grandparents started a church and, and God's saying, listen, none of that stuff gets you in. You've actually got to be more perfect than a scribe or Pharisee. And you're like, whoa. And so maybe for the first time you realize, hey, I'm not a Christian. So how do I become one? Same gospel by believing in Jesus Christ by trusting in what he has done for you. He has earned the Father's favor for you. 
And through your faith in him, God accepts you, forgives you, redeems you. The law that convicts now becomes this beautiful thing for you to ascribe to, to pursue. And so if that's you today, I'm praying that you would not walk out of here today without taking a step of faith towards Jesus Christ, your one and only savior. And maybe for the rest of us who are Christians here today, maybe today will be just a time to stop and to reflect on the goodness of God's rescue in our lives. Some of you hear me say this often. Listen, you don't have a real savior until you have a real problem. And so maybe today is just a day for you to be real about your struggles, about your sin. Maybe, maybe today's a day to be transparent, to pull a brother or sister of Christ aside and just say, listen, I know I'm forgiven. I love Jesus, but there's this junk in my life I need to talk about, Right? And so maybe that's where you are today. I don't, I don't know where you are. So I'm gonna pray God's spirit would move now as we take time to reflect. Worship team is coming forward and our prayer partners will be at the back and the front. Um, let's respond to God now as he's spoken. Father, we thank you for your holiness and your righteousness, God. And, and the more you reveal how holy and righteous you are to us, God, the more unworthy that we understand ourselves to be. And the more unworthy that we understand ourselves to be, the deeper our need for a savior. And Jesus, that's where you come in and rescue us. Father, thank you for reminding us today that the law is good and right. It points us towards holiness, God. It shows us how to be an image bearer for the most high king. Father, I pray for any person here today who has not taken a step of faith to trust in Jesus that today would be that day of faith. For others of us, maybe we've been walking as believers, but we continue to, to walk in condemnation, not realizing that Jesus has already fulfilled the law for us. And so maybe today you would stir our hearts to see the law differently, to see it as good and right, something to behold as beautiful. So Father, whatever you wanna do, we turn this time over to you, ask your Holy Spirit to move. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus.